Hello, and welcome to this edition of our podcast, Lancaster in 1909. 1909 was a memorable year in Lancaster and nationally. Lancaster's richest citizen, Lord Ashton, James Williamson Jr., donated the new town hall which opened in 1909, overlooking his earlier donation of the Queen Victoria Monument and a restyled Dalton Square, 1907, which in turn was overlooked by the Ashton Memorial, which also opened that year in Williamson's Park, and which was his father's donation. The extremes of wealth and poverty that allowed such philanthropy were perhaps rather more common locally in 1909 than today. The town's MP, Norville Helm, a Liberal like Williamson, a previous Lancaster MP, was supporting Herbert Asquith's Liberal government, which introduced pensions from the 1st of January 1909. They were financed by taxation and means tested, and these gave the poorest a basic income, £13 a year if you earn less than £21 a year, and tapering to nothing if earning over £31. These pensions were available only to those over 70, at a time when the average life expectancy was just 45. In Lancaster today it is 77 for men and 81 for women. This threshold of 70 is less restrictive than it might seem, because the average lifespan is reduced by the very high infant mortality, then 130 per 1,000 births in England and Wales in 1911, which is far higher than in even the poorest third world country today. Nonetheless, the poorest died the youngest, then as now. Some of the poor in Lancaster could be found in the almshouses, Pennies and Gillisons for example, the workhouse on East Road, and eventually in the pauper sections of the Lancaster Cemetery on Quarmer Road. They lived perhaps in the yards and courts of old central Lancaster that would be cleared in the interwar years as council housing developed. The Edwardian years were ones of expansion in Lancaster in two senses. The borough's population rose by around 7,000 between 1891 and 1911. Some crammed even tighter into the footprint of old Lancaster. Others moved into new terraced housing to the east up to Freehold and south towards Bowram and west beyond the station. 14% of the workforce was employed in construction and allied trades. Only 10% of homes were only occupied then, compared with 66% in Lancaster today. The Edwardian decade in Lancaster was one of expansion, modernisation and innovation. The railway from Greenair to Morecambe via Castle Station, extended in 1899 to 1902, was electrified in 1908 to test this new technology. In 1908, Railway carriage building had ended when the Lancaster Wagon and Carriage Works on Caton Road finally closed, leaving around 2,000 people unemployed. There are always dangers with big employers in small towns. In the bad times, unemployment peaks. In the good times, there is prosperity. Williamson's at this time employed around a quarter of the town's workforce and fortunately still had many decades of trading ahead, as had stories the smaller local firm in the textiles and covering sector of linoleum and table bays. All these new Edwardian houses, nationally and in Lancaster, needed furnishing, 
and at the top end of the market in Cannon Hill and Haverbrakes for example and their equivalents across the country Waring and Gillow found markets for their furniture and furnishings and Thomas Mawson for his garden designs. Good design was the key to success for stories Gillow and Mawson as arts and crafts and Art Nouveau became fashionable. Waring and Gillow oversaw the construction of the new town hall between 1906 and 1909 and many examples of their work can still be found there. The growth of the town prompted new pubs, hotels and public buildings that created opportunities for Lancaster's stained glass firms such as Shrigley and Hunt and Abbott to sell their products. The town was unfortunately still prey to infectious diseases which were the main cause of death in 1909 unlike today when the chronic conditions of old age dominate. The present Royal Lancaster Infirmary had opened in 1896. In 1909 there was an infectious diseases hospital by the loon as well as one at the workhouse. The separation of those then diagnosed as mentally ill was also widely practiced. The Moore Hospital housed 1,833 people in 1908 and the Royal Albert was home for more. Local philanthropists contributed extensively to the growth of the Royal Albert and the infirmary in those pre-NHS days when doctors required payment from their patients. At the Moore Hospital there were class distinctions in mental illness. There were separate villas for the better off at Campbell House for men and Ridge Lee for women. In 1911 around 10% of Lancaster's population lived in an institution of some kind, asylum, workhouse, barracks or orphanage. Today we have two universities. Shopping in Lancaster was also on the cusp of change. The market hall and the small independent traders were now competing with the Lancaster and Skirton Co-op, whose main store on the corner of New Street and Church Street had opened in 1901. It had 20 branches by 1914. The National Multiples had started to trade in Lancaster, Boots, Lipton's and Home and Colonial for example, along with their mass-produced bulk-bought brands. Banking also consolidated. The Lancaster Banking Company on Church Street and its 18 branches had been taken over in 1907 by the Manchester and Liverpool District Banking Company. It would be five years, 1914, until Lancaster Girls Grammar School paralleled Lancaster Royal Grammar School for Boys and nine years, 1918, until most women over 30 could vote. Equal pay was a distant dream and equal opportunities across the economy and society were far off. Not till 1932 did Lancaster have a mayoress, Annie Helm. There are companion guides in this series that provide more details on Almshouses in Lancaster, Philanthropy in Lancaster, Lancaster Cemetery, Three Town Halls, Stained Glass in Lancaster, Thomas Mawson of Lancaster, Gillow of Lancaster, Railways around Lancaster and Carnforth, Four Parks in Lancaster and Morecambe, Philanthropists in Lancaster, Lancaster Wagon Works, the development of Haverbrakes and hospitals in Lancaster and Morecambe. They are just a few of the over 115 walks and guides to the area, written by Gordon Clark, published by Lancaster Civic Vision on our webpage 
www.lancastercivicsociety.uk where they can be read, downloaded and printed free of charge by clicking the tab Guides, Leaflets and Walks to the Lancaster and Morecambe District. We hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of our podcast and we look forward to your company again with some of our other podcasts about the fascinating history and heritage of the Lancaster and Morecambe District. Music